0: Welcome to the Better Questions podcast, where we wrestle with hard questions and seek to ask better ones. This week, we have a question coming in from Sarah. Sarah says, I've been reading the news lately and feeling anxious about all the things that are happening, whether it's an oil spill in Ohio, whether it's unidentified flying objects being shot out of the sky, or threat of nuclear war. How do we engage with the news as a Christian and not get overwhelmed? I could have sent this question in. I mean, it's Sarah. Great question. It's um, definitely something that I've felt and experienced—the sense of overwhelm and dread, um, especially when it seems like you know you're getting your news from sources that tend to be bad news, a lot of bad news. Um, and I'll I'll speak to this broadly, um, but then I kind of want to. So I was thinking about this and some of the Bible study I've been doing, I kind of want to narrow in on um, some of Paul's teaching that I think will help us frame this a little bit. So first, just some general thoughts. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but there's this idea of um, the information to action ratio, which is an idea that we live in a culture where we're inundated with so much news because of the digital age that we live in. We know things, things we wouldn't know in ancient times and because we know so much and we there's an inability for us to be able to act on the information we know um, it can lead to this low hum of anxiety you know if there was a need in our local town and we heard about that need we could physically react to that need but what do we do when there's a tragedy in ohio you know what can we do about that um, we can spread awareness. We can tell others about it. We can talk about it. Um, but ultimately, there's not much we can do. And so that is a, a really tough space to be. And I, there's this famous quote by a theologian, Karl Barth, um, that has been popularized to say, uh, we should hold the Bible in one hand, and the newspaper in the other. Um, and I've seen that quoted many times um, and I, I wanted to do a little bit more of a deep dive in it recently, and I, I came to find out the quote has actually been popularized and changed. The original quote um, from 1966 says, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both, but interpret newspapers from your Bible. Now, this is a really interesting nuance because, you know, <laughs> It's not as if they're saying, or Bart is even trying to argue, that the Bible and the newspaper are on the same playing field. Um, And so, what I want to do briefly is maybe take a second and dial in on um, just some truths of of the scripture that might help inform a little bit how we think about this. Um, So, if we turn to Philippians 1, verses 3, you know, Paul's in the middle of um, speaking to this little church that he loves. Uh, the church in Philippi. And he says, I thank God every time I remember you and all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work on you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, you ever a friend uh, when they say to you, I'll pray for you. And you know they're saying it to be kind. It's almost like a, I'll, I'll think about you or I, I care about you. But the reality is they probably won't pray for you. Um, and then you may have those friends who like genuinely mean it. Like when they say, hey, by the way, I'm praying for you. You're like, yeah, that person legitimately spent time in prayer for me. Um, one of the um, one of the things I do because I'm the Person, the first category who I often forget is I will text the person after talking to them and say I just prayed for you, and that kind of holds me accountable, being like, all right, let's pray for them in the moment and let them text, knowing I'm thinking about them. Um, Paul means it, right? Right after his greeting, grace and peace to you, God our Father. Right out of the gate, the first thing Paul says is, every time I think about you, I thank God for you. And that's saying something. Um, He's praying with joy. He's being dead serious. Um, He's saying, I think every time I think about you, I pray for you. And he says, I'll pray with joy. Now, why can Paul say that? Right? Where is Paul? He's in prison at the time. This is a first century prison, no food, no water, no clothes, in chains, in a dungeon left to rot and die. And the guy says, you know, in all my prayers, I pray with joy. I am not, how do you put it, a guy who would do well in a Roman prison for a variety of reasons. But mainly because I am very particular about how I sleep. My wife has affectionately nicknamed me a diva princess because I have a hard time um You know, sleeping if I don't have my pillow right, if it's the right kind of pillow, I don't like like the bed a certain way. Uh, My point being, the word joy probably would not be the last words on my lips if I was in Paul's position. And so you ask the question and ask, well, how could Paul say that? In the midst of a dire circumstance, how could he say that he is praying with joy? Well, if you keep reading, Paul goes on to say, uh, because in verse 5, it says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, remember uh, 10 years back until now, being confident of this, that he who began a work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of King Jesus. Now, there's so much under the surface here. So real quick, let me me do a little bit of backstory. If you're still with me, if you're still listening, hang in there, because this is good stuff. So Paul's a Jewish rabbi. That means his upbringing, his cultural background, his language, the worldview is Jewish to the core. And he was born in a city called Tarsus. So Paul, all things Jewish, born in a city called Tarsus, which is right on the southern coast of modern day Turkey. Tarsus is the top university in all the empire, which means that Paul goes up around philosophers, professors, and offices, and scientists, and it's Paul's world that he's living in. Paul shows a really high aptitude for learning. Um, Paul or Saul at the time is really sharp. He gets opportunity of a lifetime to go to Jerusalem and Israel and study under this rabbi named Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel was the most well-known rabbi in all of Israel in Paul's day. He was the grandson of Hillel. I don't know if you'd recognize that name, but most well-known rabbi in Israel's history. Uh, there's a great story you maybe you've heard it he's the rabbi who was asked by a gentile who wanted to convert uh, but he'd only do so if he could recite the entire torah on one foot and so hillel famously stands on one foot and says what is hateful to you do not do to your neighbor that is the whole torah the rest is the explanation of this go and study it okay um Just a classic story. A fun little nugget to throw in there, right? So, Hillel, one foot guy. Grandson um, is not Hillel, it's Gamaliel. Don't want to mix those two people up. Um, So, Paul jumps at the chance to study under him, moves from Tarsus down to Jerusalem, and is educated under Gamaliel as a Pharisee. Now, that means Paul, steeped in what you and I call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, um, he is headlong studying this thing. It's in his bloodstream, right? He is a he is a Jew through and through. And so the odds are the Jewish rabbi would have put the entire Old Testament to memory. Right? Get that to memory. Genesis through Malachi memorized. Can you imagine? And I think sometimes one of the things we 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 think is like, how is that even like possible? Um But this was what he devoted his life to. And so, whenever Paul writes, his writings are filled with allusions and echoes and hints back to what you and I call the Old Testament. And so often we read Paul with just a New Testament lens and we sort of remove his Jewishness away from our interpretation and we miss out on what he's actually trying to say. Um, The majority, not all, but The majority of modern Western authors kind of write in a flat way. It's one-dimensional. It's kind of what's on the surface. Uh, But the way Jewish writers from Paul's era write is with layers. There's winks and nods and meanings about this and that. Um, It is about what's on the surface, but it's also about what's underneath. And so when you read someone like Paul, you're always asking, okay, well, what is he really saying? Now, if you take that mindset and then reread that text, and we see, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in will carry it to the day of completion, to the day of King Jesus. Okay, on the surface level, Paul's saying, hey, God's not done. God's at work in your life and it's not over yet. But what's under the surface? If you were a first century Jew, there would be three words that would pop off the page to you in verse 6. The word began, and the word good, and the word completion. You see, all three words began, good, and completion are words that would have been immediate echoes or winks to something that happened in the Old Testament. If you turn back in your Bible to Genesis, you have in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? The story opens with creator, God who began a good work in the fact to, to the Jews Uh, creation was the work of God, right? And if you skip down to verse 10, the second half, God saw that it was good. And then in verse 12, God saw that it was good. And at the end of 18, God said that it was good. Verse 25, God saw that it was good. And last one, 31, God saw all that he had made and it was, yeah, it was good. And then chapter one, chapter two, um, verse one sums it all up and says, the heavens and the earth were completed and all their vast ray completed. There's that word complete. Now back to Philippians. Plug that into Paul's line in verse six, who began, think Genesis one, right in the beginning, a good work. He had made the work and it was good and carried it on to completion. The heavens and the earth are completed. So what is Paul saying? I believe Paul is saying that the exact same creator God who spoke the universe into being is at work in you. The creative, explosive, life-giving, massive energy that gives birth to the cosmos and pulsates and burns in your veins that same God works in you. You know, when you think about everything that's going on, you think about threats of war, think about pollution and unidentified objects being shot out of the sky and and all these things, it can seem like, everything is going to chaos. It can cause a lot of anxiety and stress. And what I want to zero in on here is asking the question, well, where is God at work in the midst of it? And one of those spaces I think we can identify is that the God who created all the things of this world, who is sovereign over all the details of the world, that God is still at work in you. The God who made the universe is working in your church, in your city, in human history. The same Creator who spoke the cosmos into motion is not far away. But God, God Paul said that He began a good work in you, and He will carry it out into completion. Now, hear me out on this. What I'm not saying is that we should just go on. If we are holding the newspaper in one hand and we are reading these things and we're not just digging a hole in the sand uh, and pretending like we don't know what's going on in the world. We're going to see evil things. And Let me be clear. I'm not saying that evil is God's will. Paul's incarceration was evil. right? Historically, war, murder, genocide, that's evil. Jews being in a Nazi concentration camp, not God's will. Mass shootings, right? The Reformed view of God's will is often deeply misunderstood to mean if it happens, it's his will, right? Calvin would be rolling in his grave if that's how we interpreted his, his understanding of God's sovereignty. Um, that said, in a strange way, God is still at work in and through the reality of Paul being in prison. Um. And so, when we bump up and read about atrocities and evil, you know, we live in a broken world where evil exists. Um, And we often have two sort of responses to this. I I sort of observed this over time. Some people will um, get angry and bitter at God, sort of shake their fists to the heavens, ask the question, why, God? Why would you allow this? And this doubt kind of rips away at our faith and people will turn away from God. The other thing people default to um, is this sort of phrase, well, God's in control, or God's got this. And I hear that all the time. And I I probably said something like that at some point. Um, Or everything happens for a reason. Here's why I struggle with both of these responses. You see, both sides actually blame God for the evil. Both sides put the onus of responsibility on the shoulders of God. But our theology of providence is actually far more complex. And yeah, I, I think there are times when the responsibility falls on the shoulders of God, absolutely. But that's not my default setting. Um, you know, Paul goes on to say, in all things, God works for the good. Um of those who love him have been called according to his purpose. Here's what that means. It means that in all my brokenness, all my pains, all my hopes, all my dreams, past, present, and future, right, I am to load those things onto God's shoulders. To have your way, not my will, God, but your will be done. And those who follow Jesus every day, right god is able to step into your life and work all things out for good the evil in your life for good the mistakes you made in your past that were not god's will that were not a part of god's plan that were not your fault god is able to turn that into good but that doesn't make it not evil right it's it's always evil abuse will always be evil divorce will always be evil pain and cancer and sickness and death will always be evil but you worship a God who is able to take that evil and somehow create something beautiful. The evil was never God's will or his heart or his plan for your life. But God can take you in the aftermath and the chaos and the violence and the broken world who is able to reach and rescue you. It's not somehow trying to imagine that evil is good. Okay, that's, that's Buddhism. It's that's not the gospel. Now, Paul was all about the gospel because Paul was all about Jesus. Paul's life was swallowed up in Jesus. And so, let us then take this idea and apply it to what we read in the newspaper. So, Bible in one hand, newspaper in the other. What do we see? We see violence. Whether it's in Ukraine, whether... Um, it's it's the threat of of war, whether it's a school shooting, whether it's um, whatever happened in the train derailment that caused horrible pollution in Ohio and people are getting sick and dying. Like those things are evil. The tension that we re- we sort of live in is that God allowed those evil things to happen, but the beauty of the gospel is that even in the evil that has happened, God is at work. And he can do something uh, far beyond what maybe we can see now. And so that's why I come back to where is God at work in you? Recognizing that these things are out of our control, not being people who don't care about what's happening in our world, Right? I think if we just completely say, well, I just don't worry about that stuff. I don't, I don't like to know what's going on. I don't want to be informed because it just stresses me out. I think there's a danger in that, too, because I do think like we are called to be participants in what's going on. And we are called to speak into these things. You know? But I don't think that they should sort of live rent free in our brain and, and cause us to live with all this anxiety. So come back to where is God at work, specifically in your own life? What's God doing? What's He up to? Where is He taking the broken spaces, the broken ideas, the broken um, things that have happened in our lives and the lives of those around us? And where is He creating something beautiful in the midst of it? Thanks again, Sarah, for your great question. Thanks for tuning in. Send in your questions to betterquestions at eastminster.org. I've got three interviews this week. They will be launching next week and the following weeks. I can't wait for you to hear them. But in the meantime, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. uh, Send in your questions to betterquestions at eastminster.org. And I will see you next time. Grace and peace.